Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTSNet2Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about. Hi, my name is Amy Fiedler. I'm one of the cardiothoracic surgery fellows at the Massachusetts General Hospital. It's my pleasure to be here today with CTSNet moderating this panel on tips and tricks to succeed in residency and fellowship. Uh, it's great to have my fellow resident colleagues here today with me. We'll start with Kristen Sell. She's an I-6 resident from the University of North Carolina. Greg Patakos, he is a traditional track resident from Baylor College. Hugh Auchincloss is my uh, fellow colleague at Mass General. He's a 4-3 integrated thoracic track resident. And finally, Elizabeth Stevens, who's an I-6 resident from Columbia University in New York. So I thought that the first question that I could ask my friends here is how we all went about choosing the track that we joined. So we'll start with Elizabeth as to how she chose the I-6 track. Um, what really attracted me to that uh, pathway was the way that you're able to really focus on cardiothoracic and cardiovascular diseases. So you get a lot of cardiology training, imaging. Um, it was unique in that I had a, a lot of exposure to the field, so I was quite certain that this was something that I was going to pursue. So one of the issues is you're not board eligible for general surgery. So you have to, there's nothing to fall back on if you decide for some reason you're not going to do cardiothoracic. So I was pretty uh, confident that that was what I wanted to pursue. Um, I, the duration didn't really make too much of a difference to me. It was mostly the uh, focus that you have on cardiothoracic throughout your whole time. Um, so that was the main attraction to me for me. Mm -hmm. That's great. And what about you, Greg, someone who's gone through the traditional training program completing a general surgery residency? Yeah. Um, so uh, it does uh, uh, make it very interesting when you compare yourself to uh, people training in uh, other paradigms or other pathways. Uh, for me, when I was first starting out, I think there either wasn't a traditional um, or a integrated program, an I-6 program, or it was just the very first year where they had come out. And so I felt that there was going to be a little bit of uncertainty to it. Um, now, obviously, it's turned out to be a great thing. Um, but I liked the idea of getting general surgery training first, uh, having broad training, uh, and then being able to spend a dedicated number of years uh, in cardiothoracic surgery. Not only because it gave you something to fall back on, but because of the uh, broader training uh, that you gain. And there, there are more um, aspects of general surgery uh, than one would think in cardiac and thoracic, you know, whether it's operating on the foregut or operating uh, in the abdomen doing a thoracoabdominal aneurysm. Uh, I think there are some uh, benefits to this training pathway. Mm -hmm. And another question that I had for everyone is when you started your training program, how did you identify mentors? Kristen, did you have any specific way that you went about identifying mentors? Some of it I think ended up being sort of happenstance and I once I got there and started actually working, um, I saw which physicians really seemed uh, the most engaged and seemed to be the best role model and sort of 
they selected themselves in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, I plan on going into adult cardiac surgery, but one of my mentors is, is a thoracic surgeon just because of the way that he you know, conducts himself. And so I think it's interesting to see where your mentors end up being. It's not always where you expect. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Hugh? I know um, from Mass General we have a number of great faculty members to choose from. How were you able to identify someone as you went through the training process? Yeah, I mean at Mass General you're lucky because if you express even the slightest interest in thoracic surgery, Dr. Matisson will usher you into his office and <laughs> then you're on his team for the rest of uh, your training. But also I found uh, mentors outside of thoracic surgery as well. Some of our foregut surgeons and people that you just had a productive clinical relationship with turned into useful mentors over, uh, over training. And uh, another question I think that a lot of the viewers would be interested in is research. Elizabeth, you've been quite productive as a, a researcher during your training. Can you talk to us about how you were able to balance your clinical responsibilities and uh, being a productive researcher and any tips and tricks that you could give our viewers? Um, it's really been a challenge. I think the one of the best pieces of advice that I got going into the I-6 was to try when you're an intern to really dedicate yourself to being a great intern and getting adjusted um, before taking on any projects because I always tend to take on too much. Um, so I think that for the early residents, the first the most important thing is to make sure that clinically you're doing a good job and then when you find that you do have some extra time and have uh, some projects available to you then you can pursue those. Um, I went straight or am going straight through my uh, integrated program so the projects that I've been doing are on the side um, which can be very challenging because it's always you know late at night or um, when I happen to have a few hours off. Most of my work has during this period has been clinical outcomes because that's something that you can pick up um, you know, and, and drop off whenever you have time. But I do have uh, some, also some basic science, and I'm lucky enough to have a, a grant and a medical student. But that's uh, been extremely challenging to try to balance that and your clinical responsibilities. I, th I think that is one of the um, things that we've seen with the traditional uh, gen people going into the traditional general surgery uh, programs and then going into cardiothoracic is that uh, very frequently, they were either you know one, two, or three years taken off in the middle of the general surgery residency to do uh, dedicated uh, time in research, either at the home institution or elsewhere. Uh, and so, I, I've always you know thought that it's very interesting to see how people who are in, I, in an I six program uh, how they do that without taking additional time off. And some of them do, of course, take additional time off. And uh, Kristen, so you're finishing up soon. What's something that you have learned over the course of your training that no one told you? And as you reflect back, you think to yourself, gosh, I wish someone would have told me that when I was starting. You know, I think that, I think that part of it actually uh, comes off of something that Elizabeth said, which is in the beginning, your first and foremost job is simply to be a good doctor. And there's a lot of other things that go on in residency and a lot of other pressures and stress and you know conferences you have to present and all these things. But I think the bottom line, and it's very easy to forget this, is your first job is to be a good doctor and a good surgeon. And you know, getting having that perspective and reflecting back on that I think is actually helpful mm -hmm. as a you know, as a check-in every, you know, once or twice a year or something like that. Something that people did tell me that I didn't do and I wish I had was you got to write stuff down. You always think you're going to remember all these things that you watched your staff do when you were training and then when you try to do it on your own and you just can't remember these details, I just wish I'd written everything down. I think that's great advice. It's great <laughs> advice, yeah. Uh, someone told me early on and, and to this day when I'm finished scrubbing before doing the op note, before doing the orders, I take out my iPhone and I jot a couple things down 
and it's all gibberish with you know spelling mistakes and everything, but it means something to me. And I've then been able to pass that on to other residents, and then you know they start doing the same thing, and you can compile it. It's very useful. I think that's an important part that as you go through, you'll try to figure out your learning style and um, reflecting beforehand what you what your goals are for a given surgery, what you want to improve on based on your previous performance, and then as soon as you're done, like you said, reflecting on what you wanted to change and whatever format you have for trying to kind of each each operation that you do progress in, in the goals that you have, and, and each person has like a different method for that, but figuring that out as you go is very helpful. Mm -hmm. And uh, cardiac surgery is certainly very different uh, than general surgery. There's different technical skills and things that we need to obtain. Uh, what has all of your experience been with respect to simulation, and do you think that that's something that some of our younger viewers uh, should be involved in early in order to hone their skills? I think it's uh, I think it's very useful, uh, and in fact, you know, from my early on general surgery training, uh, what I had done is before I was going to do a case with an attending, I would try to just grab them in their office or talk to them and say, "Can we go to the skills lab?" Or, you know, I have two pieces of Dacron here. Can you show me your technique? Uh, you know, all of your attendings are going to be busy, but if you really show to them that you want to excel in the operating room, having just a little bit of one-on-one -on -one time when you're not on when you're not on pump, where they have an extra minute to show you a needle angle can be very useful. So although we can't do it all the time, and that's something I took with me into cardiac surgery, so although you can't do it all the time, if you can show somebody that interest, they will frequently either show you, you know, before the operation, just on a, you know, getting two pieces of Dacron together or in the sim lab, something along those lines. And cardiac surgery, cardiothoracic surgery is a demanding specialty. Does anyone have any thoughts about work-life balance and how you go about that as you uh, progress through your training program? I don't think you think about work-life balance on a day-to-day -day basis. You think about it on a month-to-month -month and year-to-year -year basis, and your cardiothoracic training is not going to be a period of your time when your work-life balance favors life. Um, and accepting that is okay. It gets better. There's going to be easier stretches, but it's, it's not realistic to think that it's gonna be a thriving time for your personal life. I, I agree with you. The only thing I would say is, despite the fact that cardiac surgery or thoracic surgery may take up 99% of your time, make sure you spend that 1% well and or try and set dedicated moments where you try and make it so that no matter what happens, you're gonna be with your significant other or family or friends or something because it's definitely a marathon as we all know, it's not a sprint and so, uh, you need to be happy in order to continue with the marathon. Uh, another question that I have for all of you is, as you've progressed through training, there's certainly uh, specific niches that people go into. In the cardiac world, we have heart failure and congenital thoracic robotics is an emerging field. How did we all go about choosing what we're interested in? And at what point do you think that people early on and as they progress through their residency should start to think about and more importantly, make those decisions? I mean, so there were many parts of that question. I think that, um, you know, I certainly would not encourage people to decide too early on exactly what specifically they want to do. I think that 
um, one, you end up missing out on a number of other opportunities, and two, you sort of close yourself off to you know, the other aspects of cardiothoracic surgery. Um, and so I have to be honest, I've decided fairly late in the game exactly what I'm going to do, um, but I think that's been very helpful because I sort of approached congenital surgery and thoracic surgery and all that with a lot of uh, energy, and I was very engaged, and I think that the faculty respond well to that, and you get a lot more um, more out of the experience. Um, that being said, certainly you need to decide probably by uh, before your very last year just in order to make sure that you have everything sort of lined up when it comes time to start looking for jobs and to make sure that you have appropriate mentors in place. Mm -hmm. That's certainly the first thing they're going to ask you when you start looking for jobs and it's um, a little disarming is what are you interested in and they want you to be specific and it's not that's not a time to figure out that you don't know what you what really drives you. Yeah. I think it's it's good to identify your passions early on. However, you know, they may change and I think it's just as easy as what operations do you enjoy performing the most? Um, what people do you like when you come to a conference? Who are the people that you gravitate towards, you know, going to their sessions, etc.? And um, very obviously, your, your mentors are going to uh, influence you. So we all know that if you are working with a surgeon who's an exceptional surgeon and an exceptional human being, the combination will draw you towards whatever niche that person is in because you will see it as being uh, very rewarding, fulfilling, and a, something that you would like to emulate. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts that you all have for our viewers? Uh, the, one, the one thing I would like to say to everybody watching this video, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there will be a lot of junior war people, medical students, residents, etc., is that the most important thing someone once told me you can do is to just show up every day. Uh, don't let people get you down. Don't give up. Uh, and to, to just keep going. Just keep going. And you will, uh, you will surprise yourself with where you'll end up. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Thank you for listening to CTS Net to Go, your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTS Net by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTS Net Video, by following at ctsnet.org on Twitter or by liking CTS Net's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTS Net to Go. Have a great day.